Welcome to Fringe Division. Weird is a matter of degrees. Hello and welcome to Fringe Division, a spoiler-free rewatch podcast of the TV show Fringe. I'm Jimmy. And I'm Martin. Today we'll be discussing episode 4 of season 1 of Fringe, The Arrival, which aired on September 30th, 2008 on Fox. It was written by J.J. Abrams and Jeff Pinkner and was directed by Paul Edwards. Exactly. And Paul Edwards directed a lot of episodes of Lost. Your favourite TV show Lost, Martin. It turns out they were dead all along. No, it doesn't. That's not how it ends, Martin. Oh, right. We'll have this discussion another time <laughs> on our um, Lost Rewatch podcast coming next year. Right, so what's going to happen is this, Martin and I are going to have a little discussion, spoiler-free discussion, about this episode of Fringe. So, Martin, what did you think of episode four of Fringe? I liked it so much I could watch it a second time. Yeah, I have watched it twice in the past. Oh, a few months. I don't know why. No, it's a good episode, though. Yeah, it's yeah. out of the um, first sort of uh, wave of episodes. It is probably almost certainly the standout. So far, it is a standout, yeah. We learn a lot. <laughs> I mean... The, the bald man gets a name, um, and he actually gets some speaking lines and... Acknowledged. Uh, and acknowledged, exactly, and he has no eyebrows. So, I'm going to go through the plot, and Martin will interject if he has anything funny or annoying to say. That seems unlikely. <laughs> well, do you have anything funny to say? Indeed. Yeah. That's not true, Martin. I find you humorous. So, the plot of episode 4, the arrival, is as follows. A bald man with no eyebrows enters a diner. Sounds like a joke, doesn't it? Enters a diner and orders a roast beef sandwich with meat as raw as possible, with 11 jalapeno peppers on the side and a glass of water at room temperature. Before eating the sandwich, he pours an entire container of black peppers on it. (laughs) This is... A lot. Cool, blimey, normally you have to wait for like someone's eyes to bleed or a bus to be frozen <laughs> in amber, but this time it was just someone ordering a really weird sandwich. I know, I know. A large amount of Tabasco sauce and um, places the jalapeno peppers on the sandwich. He eats the sandwich in several rapid gulps. And, and, no, no, and then he takes the whole pepper pot and pours all the pepper on it. I know, I've said that. You said the pepper, jalapeno peppers. No, I said, before eating the sandwich, he pours an entire container of black peppers on it. Then you interrupted me and I continued with a large amount of Tabasco sauce and places of jalapeno peppers in the sandwich. I wasn't paying attention. Of course you weren't. Uh, not pausing between bites like a normal person. I love how I wrote this. Um, the diner staff stare at him, as they would. Um, he watches a construction site across the street and starts writing from right to left and top to bottom in an unknown language in his notebook while checking a pocket watch. So we know it's not Korean because he tells the... I really like how friendly the waitress was. I'd totally have lunch at this diner. She was really nice, yeah. And even though he was just giving off weird vibes, she was still like you know willing to talk to him. But 
Yeah. But not in a forced way, like just uh, no. let's have a chat, which is really nice. Yeah. Seems like she was really sweet. I think that was the actual fringe event in the teaser <laughs> that will have to be investigated. <laughs> what a nice waitress, Nadina. Yeah. From time to time, he observes the construction crew through high-tech binoculars. The ground starts to shake and a gas man explodes at the construction site toppling over a crane. It's like he knew it was going to happen. Yes, exactly. The bald man casually drinks his water, walks outside, moves to the edge of a now gaping hole, uh, makes a phone call and informs the person at the other end it has arrived. Now, Martin, mm-hmm. that is one way of getting out of paying for your lunch, isn't it? Yes. I mean, he puts money on the table, but I wanted to make that joke anyway. So, it feels like we're stepping up a notch in terms of the wider fringiverse. Yes, indeed. And it only took, but this is episode four, so <laughs> I like how the, the show is sort of kicking up a gear already. Yeah, like I remembered this being much later in the season. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I remember, yeah. I remember you saying that before, yeah. We've not had this discussion before. No, I remember in the last episode, you were surprised that this was going to be the next episode. I remember that chat we had last week. Yeah. <laughs> right. At three o'clock in the morning, Walter Bishop and his son, Peter Bishop, are in their hotel room. Walter is keeping Peter awake by working out the recipe for root beer. The next day, Peter uh, tells Olivia that he is tired of dealing with his father and is not happy uh, remaining in one place so long. He wants to go and play poker in Ocean's Eleven. So, I know you're not a huge fan of the the floating signs, Martin. Um, We always see a floating sign uh, for... uh, for scene transitions and I'm actually in agreement with you with the one where we see for the federal building mm-hmm. because it's like us we are seeing like a bird's eye view and I just don't like the way that that's shot so I agree with you in that instance also Peter's a little bit of a dick to that woman in the federal building he's a lot of a dick he's a lot of a dick the woman's just doing her job Olivia insists that they need Peter to help with Walter. She also tells Peter that Walter has said he will not work out on investigate work on the investigation, preferring to return to the mental institution if Peter is not there with him. There's a lot of stuff here that they could have actually demonstrated with actions rather than words. Yeah, we've only got Olivia's word on that that, that that's what Walter says. Yeah. Also, when Peter says um that Walter was standing there naked. Olivia sort of looks down. She sort of looks down at um, Peter's body for some reason. Maybe she was embarrassed. Maybe, but she looks down like at his chest area, then looks back up at his eyes. Maybe she was picturing Walter naked. Right. I mean, who wasn't? Uh, me. Were you? Yeah. Hey, at least you're honest. So... Philip Bryles calls the team to a warehouse where the source of the explosion in Brooklyn is stored. A bullet-shaped metal cylinder, about two feet long, with grooves spiralling clockwise from top to bottom on its surface. Um, Bryles explains that a similar object was found at an explosion in Quantico in 1987 and that a Colonel Henry Jacobson headed the investigation. Oh, cool. Someone to go and talk to. 
Exactly, for exhibition, exhibition, Jesus Christ, Jimmy, for exposition. <laughs> so, exhibition, that's me thinking of Walter being naked again, just flaunting his bits about. Um, Peter agrees to stay for this one last assignment while Olivia goes to see Jacobson, a family friend who lost his wife. Don't know why that's there, we don't need that, but there you go. Um, when you see, when they're driving into the, um, driving to this warehouse, that the cylinder is in. You can see the sign that says S.E. Kramer Manufacturing mm-hmm. and it's obviously a fake sign but it's like a CGI sign and I think it looks fake. It's It annoys me just seeing, because I know they're just doing their job and they're just trying to put a fake sign in the, a huge ass warehouse but it, it looked fake to me. Yeah, it was a bit, hey, quick sticker sign there. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm aware I'm being picky but it's something to talk about. I think it's cute that Walter says um, good morning to everyone mm. <laughs> when he's walking in. Right, so um, the actor who plays Jacobson is Nesta Serrano, and he's been in loads of movies, including um, The Day After Tomorrow and Bad Boys. I've not seen the Bad Boys film. Would you recommend them? Um. Well, not really. A lot of people love Bad Boys too, but I actually think it's a lot of crap. And it's over long and like um, it's like two and a half hours long that movie. Blimey! For an action movie, but Bad Boys Three is actually not too bad. Hmm. That was the one that was released earlier this year, and I think it's the highest grossing movie of twenty twenty because of coronavirus. <laughs> 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 so there you go. There was a guy who managed to get a film that he recorded on. Zoom uh, to be the box office number one in the US right? because there were no other films out so it got <laughs> logged as the uh, box office number one which I thought was uh, the work of a plucky underdog until I read that basically all he did was make a crappy film on his computer and then pay $25,000 to a cinema. That's it? Yeah. And it's like, oh, you could have done some more important things with $25,000 during a pandemic. <sighs> That's... Oh, okay. I'm not going to say anything, but what a c- Yeah. So, Jacobson extends his condolences about the death of John Scott, then relates how the object appeared at Quantico. It was vibrating a specific pattern, the same as the new one. Jacobson determined the object was sending a signal but couldn't determine to who or what. The object then exploded down into the and down into the earth. I don't know why I said it that way, and disappeared. Um he gives her he gives her his files but warns her that she should stay away from it as far as possible. The idea of a drilling missile to be shot through the earth seems particularly redundant after the invention of uh, intercontinental ballistic missiles. Yeah. It's just like, oh, now we've just got a load of holes in the planet. (laughs) And that's putting aside the whole Earth's core is really hot and difficult to drill through side of things. Mm -hmm. At the FBI warehouse, a man in a stocking cap emerges from his car with an odd-looking gun and shoots the outside guard. An FBI agent confronts him, but is tossed aside by the gun's ability to manipulate physics. 
Hey, it's that bloke from House of Cards. It is, indeed. Yes, Michael Kelly. Um, I actually remember him from Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead from 2004, but he played CJ, who's also a bit of a bastard. Uh, typecast, is he? Well, at least CJ comes through in the end and saves the day and is, you know, a hero, whereas this guy, not so much. He proceeds into the warehouse and quickly dispatches the four armed FBI agents with his physics manipulating gun. He locates the remaining scientist who informs him the object is gone. That night, Olivia is awakened by a phone call, Martin. There. There's nothing but static and a man saying her name. Olivia believes the voice is John Scott's, but when she attempts to have the call traced, the operator at FBI dispatch says that no call came in on the cell phone. Dun, dun, dun. That was a weak plot point. It was. I don't give a shit. I really don't care about the John Scott stuff. It's just like, oh no, our equipment's on the blink again. Yeah. <laughs> oh well, back to sleep. <laughs> the next day, Walter studies the object further while Olivia notices a man in the 1987 photos from Jacobson. She spots a bald man and identifies him in other photos from the previous trip to hospital. You what? I know. Dun, dun, dun. Jacobson answers his doorbell and finds a stocking cat man at his door. The man stuns him into unconsciousness. Bloody hate it when it happens. I know, you just open the door and some bastard just, like, shoots you. And then you're unconscious. It's like, come on. I was in the toilet as well and I pissed myself. Thanks, mate. <sighs> happens every week. Olivia takes a photo of the bald man to Broyles, who reveals that she's that they've just discovered the same man in the photos after a year of work. So, you know, Olivia is good at what she does. They've been unable to identify the man whom they call the Observer. <gasps> We've got a name, Martin! But he has been at the scene of various pattern events. Uh, they're interrupted when Broyles gets word on the attack on the warehouse. Right, so, the photo that Olivia shows Broyles of the bald guy in the hospital is actually different to the one that that we see her looking at earlier. It's definitely shot. It's a definitely sort of stage photo. But it's supposed to be the same one. And that's that that just won't stand, Martin. No, no, it will not. I'm gonna give up on this show now. You can you can talk about the show yourself. <laughs> it will just be me making uncoordinated references. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, as Walter conducts sound experiments in the cylinder, Olivia calls Peter to inform him that they're moving the cylinder. To cylinder oh, Jesus fucking Christ! Olivia informs Peter that they are moving the cylinder to a secure facility. Walter seems aware that someone is coming for the cylinder and asks Peter to get him aluminium foil. Sorry, Americans, um, to shield the cylinder's frequencies. I'm not saying aluminum. I can't even pronounce that. So yeah. Aluminum. 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 Peter agrees and goes to get the foil. Um, Walter then asks Astrid Fansworth for a syringe and injects her with it. What a wanker. Yeah. Right. So I love that Peter. Uh, that Walter yells at Peter and tells him to stop being a smart arse because, you know, I agree with him. Peter, stop being a smart arse. Um, especially in this episode. But I don't love the fact that Walter immediately follows it up by sedating Astrid, the bastard. That is not good. The poor woman is just doing her job 
people barely remember she's there. She doesn't have any lines. And then he goes and does that. When he didn't have to. Join the FBI, they said. It will be like being on the X-Files, they said. <laughs> um, but with science. Um, Peter returns a few minutes later to find Astrid unconscious in water and the cylinder gone. I like that Peter actually calls the the, the foil tinfoil. He says, I've got the tinfoil. That's what we do, Martin. Well, what else is he going to call it? Something wrong? Aluminium. Aluminium. Aluminium foil, they call it. So, to hear an American say tinfoil is, you know, it's just a bit strange. Right, the stocking cap man places electrodes from a device up Jacobson's nostrils and into his brain. That was lovely, wasn't it, Martin? Yes. Then plugs himself into the device. He interrogates Jacobson about the woman who came to see him and can read his mind through the device. This kind of feels like its own... Like, it could be its own episode and they just sort Mm -hmm. of threw it in as an afterthought. Yeah. And he has a mind-reading machine. Nah, we won't need that later. No. See, actually, I, I genuinely can't remember, but I don't think this comes back. I'm pretty sure Michael Kelly doesn't come back. No, he doesn't. No, so um, that's not a spoiler. It's just he, he doesn't come back. Uh, yeah, so it just seems like it's just tacked on. He tortures Jacobson with electrical jolts until Jacobson thinks the answer. Satisfied, the stocking cap man kills Jacobson. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, Walter is in a diner enjoying a root beer float, which he wanted earlier, to be fair. He was wanting one, so yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad he got that. He still shouldn't have knocked fucking Astrid unconscious, though. You don't get floats if you knock Astrid out. No ice cream no. for you. Exactly. That's not bad, Walter. Right, the observer sits in the booth opposite him. They know each other. They discuss the root beer float and um, Walter mentions that he hasn't had one in 17 years. Right, so a, a root beer float, is that just like an ice cream drink? Is that what we would call an ice cream drink? I don't know what you'd call an ice cream drink. No, it's when you um, have a root beer or... Uh-huh. You can do it with uh, Coke or other fizzy pops are available. Yeah, and you and just you take it in a, a glass with ice cream. You just have a scoop of vanilla ice cream just in your drink. It's an ice cream drink. That's what we used to call it in Scotland. An ice cream mm. drink. Yeah. What did, you used to, what did you call it? Coke float. Okay, cool. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Coke float. <laughs> the single funniest thing to ever happen on the extended edition um, aside from the irrational on the buses episode that we don't talk about was uh, we mentioned snakes and ladders and Mm -hmm. Tom was quite surprised by us referring to it as such and to which I said you don't call it snakes and ladders and he said no we call it the ladder game wait a minute the ladder game yes Right. So they don't even acknowledge the snakes. Neither do Americans. No, they call it shits and ladders. Because they're, you know, desensitised to violence or something. Well, they don't have... Well, their game can't be snakes then if it's shits and ladders. That's not particularly threatening. That's just an avoidable obstacle. Exactly. 
Oh. Our pursuit's made of aluminum. Aluminum. <coughs> okay, here we go. Where the fuck am I now? I don't know. Right. Uh, the Observer seems curious and comments that 15 years is a long time to go without something you love. Walter offers some of the root beet, root beet, Jesus, the root beer to the Observer, but the Observer declines. He because comments, he, he puts all mm-hmm. the spicy stuff on because he's not got a very strong sense of taste because he's some weirdo. Exactly. Yeah. That's why he puts all the strong tasting stuff on things. So, um, what would you put on a, a root beer float to make it taste so you could actually taste it? You don't, but imagine you'd be able to taste root beer. Jalapenos? Jalapenos, yeah. The Observer says he can't touch the beacon, but thanks Walter for hiding it. So he can't touch it, so that's something else. This guy's weird, with a capital weird. He's a weirdo with no eyebrows. I would say in a bald head, but that's not fair to you, Martin. Right. He's like an interdimensional Matt Lucas. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. He promises that Walter will soon have answers. Uh, Probably not. It's only episode four, mate. Uh, Later, the police find Walter walking down the highway. That was really funny. I had a delayed reaction because my cat was running around. Oh, right. Okay. It's paired having a wee daft turn. <laughs> Later, the police find Walter walking down the highway and bring him in. Peter and Olivia come to question him and he admits he remembers taking the cylinder. However, he can't tell them where it is and he hid it from someone who is coming to find it. Walter describes his friend, in quotes, the bald-headed man, and Olivia recognises the description. Yeah, see, it was a bald man. <gasps> I know who that is! Okay, fair enough. Um, <laughs> I don't know. What am I doing? I don't know. I do like it when Broyles is just like, I know a lot of bald men. Yeah, but that annoyed me because he know- he's been a dick in that moment. Because he knows exactly who she's talking about. They they had a discussion on the bald that particular bald man, like two scenes before that, <laughs> and he's like, oh, "I know loads of bald men. Ooh, I'm a smart ass with my sexy gruff voice." Ooh. Right. Uh, when Peter snaps at his father, Walter snaps back and says he shouldn't act like his mother, questioning his judgment. An angry Peter leaves, Peter's always angry, insisting he's no longer needed. Uh, Olivia reports to Broyles that Walter knows the Observer. Right, I don't like the constant writing of Peter as a Walter sceptic. He doesn't believe Walter, but he knows that the bald man exists. So why is he so hesitant to believe that Walter knows of the bald man's existence? Because the show doesn't work if it's just everyone going along with it. I understand that. That's how you make a TV show, right? But give... Um, Peter, something else to do other than I don't believe, Walter. Shut up, Walter. Don't do that, Walter. You know, give him something else. Give him more of a personality rather than just constantly hating his dad. I think you'll find that is exactly the B-plot of this episode, is them doing just that. You see, when I'm writing these notes, Martin, I'm writing them and I say them, as if I have yet to watch the end of the episode. So I'm Mm -hmm. going through these notes, and then, at the end, we can have the discussion, and then you can tell me that. (laughs) 
Oh man, we have to wait to the end. <laughs> yeah, and we're never gonna fucking get there. <laughs> uh, okay, sorry. Um, it's fine. It's all right. We'll we'll get there. We'll manage. Uh, Peter returns to the lab to pick up his belongings. He gets a call from an associate. Um, who can offer a job somewhere far from Boston. Um, as Peter hangs up, he's unaware that the stocking cat man is watching him from the shadows. And we also see Gene the cow. Hey! hey. Just hiding there in the background. Uh, Astrid returns to the lab later and informs Olivia that there are signs of a struggle. Olivia checks the campus security footage. Meanwhile, the stocking cat man uses the same device on Peter... Um, and starts to interrogate him telepathically, asking where the cylinder is. I hope he cleaned all the bits off that was up Jacobson's nose. I don't think he follows basic hygiene. I certainly don't think he'd be following social distancing. No, probably not. Although he does shoot people from a distance because he's got that funky gun. Yes. So, you know, maybe, maybe. But his name's John Mosley. Wikipedia entry that I was reading doesn't say that, but the other Wikipedia entry does. After he recovers the beacon from the grave of Robert Bishop, John Mosley is taken down by Olivia. The beacon escapes into the earth and the observer reports that his departure was on schedule. Peter confronts the observer about the beacon, only to have a gibberish conversation that implies that the observer knows what Peter is going to say before he says it, or as Peter puts it, he knew me, he was inside my head. The observer, net, the observer then knocks out Peter with an advanced sort of stun gun. That's what it says in this description. The observer then knocks out Peter with an advanced sort of stun gun. Naturally. And they clearly didn't have any money to uh, to CG the cylinder um, get into the ground because it just sort of disappears off screen. There's a flash of light and then it's gone. Oh no, they spent all the money on uh, floaty words and replacement <laughs> signs. <laughs> they did. <laughs> Exactly. Um, after being hospitalised for his injuries, Peter admits to Olivia that his experience with the observer has caused him to start to believe in the pattern. I never really thought that Peter didn't believe in the pattern stuff, though. <laughs> Is my problem. Because he kept seeing it. Yeah. He never really said that he didn't believe it. Then this episode suddenly... He says, I believe it. And it's like, yeah, we know you do, mate. We've been watching you for the past three episodes. I mean, I know he doesn't trust Walter, but he never really doubted the stuff that was happening before. And mm. for Olivia not to believe it, or at least doubt that um, that he met the Observer as well, doesn't sit right with me. Because she doesn't no. really believe... Yeah, it's just, the writing in this episode, as good as the episode is, the writing of the characters just isn't great, I don't think, Martin. I quite like that uh, they weren't sure if he actually met the Observer or not. I actually thought that kind of worked. Why, though? Why do they disbelieve that he met this man that they know exists? Because he got all beaten up and had stuff shoved into his brain and no one else saw he was actually there. So if he was just randomly putting stuff together, then yeah, that might be what he'd um, think he saw. No, I just... I mean, people aren't believing things and people... Yeah, yeah, they're not believing in things that they absolutely should be believing in. Because Olivia isn't even a sceptic. She's pretty open-minded we've seen before so yeah anyway doesn't matter Walter apologises to Astrid who doesn't yet forgive him as well she fucking well should not 
No. Yeah, exactly. I don't blame Astrid if she left the team right there and went and got a nice little sort of, you know, office job in the FBI. Um, Peter decides that he wants to stay with the fringe team until he gets some explanations. Walter apologises to Astrid. I've already said that. Walter admits to Peter that during an accident many years ago, a mysterious third party saved both their lives. The man was bald and had no eyebrows. Who knew my thoughts before I did, as Walter says. Walter admits that his behaviour regarding the capsule and his desire to protect it uh, was motivated by his debt to the bald man and that the capsule somehow contained instructions from this man. At the end of the episode, Olivia returns home and sees recently deceased lover John Scott in her kitchen. He greets her with, hello, Liv. That's really unexpected because he's dead. Yeah. Shocking. But also kind of not. No, because he's phoned her earlier on in the episode. Right, so that's the end of the episode, Martin. So what is your Walter line of the week? Oh, my Walter line of the week is actually a Olivia line of the week because <gasps> what was boring. But I like it when Peter finally gets his FBI pass and uh, says, oh, does it get me out of speeding tickets? And she just goes, maybe. (laughs) It's a bit more playful than we usually see Olivia, but I kind of thought it fit her character. No, it did. It did, yeah. My Walter line, I actually do have a Walter line of the week, Martin. I actually do, you know, the assignment. Um, As... When Walter says to Peter, open your mind, son, or someone may open it for you. Ooh. I do like that line. Um, and you hated Walter in this episode, and that's okay. So, notes. The clue to the arrival can be found in the previous episode, The Ghost Network. Um, it's a sign showing the drawing of the beacon. Ooh. Yeah. It's shown on the wall of the train station just before Grant Davison was shot. So, yeah, and I'm looking at a picture, and you can actually see it there. Right, so the, uh, what, what are we calling these things? The highlight, the glyphs? The glyphs, aren't they? Yes, the glyphs. Yes, the glyphs. Um, the glyphs, uh, during the um, adverts, spell out the word rogue. R-O-G-U-E. Ooh. Yeah. And we heard the song Crazy, but this version was by Willie Nelson, as opposed to, I think it's Patsy Cline. Who had the biggest hit with it? Um, the exchange between Peter and the Zerver mirrors that from the episode Midnight of the reboot of the British sci-fi series Doctor Who, in which the Doctor faces a voice-stealing entity. Now, Midnight must have stolen that from this then, because this was first. Yeah, I was going to say, they were sort of roughly around the same time. Or was it, yeah? And 2008. Um... I can't remember when Midnight was. That was uh, Catherine Tate's season, wasn't it? Yeah, which was like the last regular season before Tennant left. Yeah. So, yeah, that would have been... um, 2009, I think, possibly. No, because they didn't do a series. That was the one they didn't do a series. So, they would have both been 2008. So, it would be moderately. Because 2005 is when it came back, and that was your man Eccleston. And then Tenant was two, three, and four. So that's 2006, yeah, 2008 would have been, yeah, you're right. It would have been. Well done, Martin. Yay. You have to check to make sure, but... Well, what month did this air? Uh, September. Oh, <laughs> oh, for Christ's sake. Just search it. 
I am searching it. Yo. Yo. Midnight Doctor Who aired on the 14th of June 2008. Right. So, clearly Fringe had seen an obscure <laughs> British TV show, uh, which wasn't airing in the US at the time, probably. I think it was. And copied it for one bit of one I think scene. Tenants, I think Tenants um, run aired on BBC America. But this is not the Doctor Who podcast, Martin. This is Fringe Division, a Fringe rewatch podcast of the hit TV show Fringe that aired on Fox. Um, hosted by Jimmy and Martin. Hi. Hello. So the next episode, Martin, is Power Hungry. Mm-hmm. Um, so if listeners want to watch that episode, episode five of season one, Power Hungry, and we'll join you uh, in a couple of weeks where we'll release the next episode. I sure am looking forward to talking about that one in the future. And not a couple of months ago. Uh, that's all we have time for. Um, oh fuck that was easy. <laughs> what was that? That's all we have time for. Fuck off. Get out of bags. <laughs> that's all we have time for. Um, if you'd like to follow the podcast, it's at Drop the Pilot Pod. That's my other podcast on Twitter, but um, you can just follow this one as well. Uh, uk is the website. Contact at shifttobench.co.uk is uh, the email address. You send us some feedback. Uh, what are you thinking of Fringe so far? Uh, where can people follow you on the internet, Martin? I'm at the Fowdor on Twitter and also YouTube. Yeah, you're doing YouTube now, Martin. That's great news. Is what it? What do you do on YouTube? Uh, yeah. I talk about writing. Excellent. I haven't watched it yet. But I shall. Like and subscribe. Yes, exactly. It will be weird seeing your face as you talk. (laughs) Right. So, thank you all for listening and we'll speak to you all next time. Goodbye. Bye.